You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Is that center? Is that? Oh, there we go. There we go. No, no, I'm, I'm the one that's rusty. It's all, it's all good. There's no Michael Thomas here with his ruler and all, all things. Northside out here. Hey, uh, good, to be, good to be back here. Good to be back here. Hang on, just excuse me a sec. That's right. Let's get the dust off the preaching Bible. It's, um, it's been a while. It's been six weeks, which I've worked out in the seven and a bit years that I've been here. That's the longest period I've ever been out of the platform. And this wonderful space that I find it such a privilege to be in every Sunday night uh, helped me realize while I was away, this is a special time for us all as a family uh, and a great privilege for me as we share God's word. And tonight we start a new series, actually, for the next three weeks called Trusting the Unseen. And here's where it's come from. It's actually come from something I've been wrestling with while I was away. Uh, You see, as we've heard tonight, uh, Northside's going through a little bit of a change. It's going through a leadership baton change, and with that comes a whole heap of emotions. And for me, it was quite weird in the latter part of the holiday to sort of start to get a sense of the reality of what's happening and this funny dynamic started happening where I started questioning. I started asking myself, man, what have I got myself in for? <laughs> what's what's going to happen? And, and for real, there was a nervousness. There, there was a real nervousness about stuff. And, and I thought, look, actually, this is a healthy thing because it's, it's not just me. I figured, have, have you ever caught yourself in those moments where... Uh, there, there is something ahead of you. It might be uh, job opportunities or business opportunities or there's something happening in a relationship and you've been a Christian for years and years and years and suddenly you find yourself in that scary place in which you th- you're thinking to yourself, I think I'm starting to lose a bit of faith. Anyone, anyone been there before? Where you, you, it's, it's almost paralyzing. And here's how you think. This is your first reaction. Look, I hope no one at church finds out, particularly none of the pastors. <laughs> Uh, and it's tough when you're one of the pastors. So that's why over the next three weeks, we're going to look at just one chapter of the Bible, Bible Hebrews 11, which, uh, if you're a good student, is the faith chapter in the Bible. And that's where I went to. I thought, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of faith here. And so let's go back to the Word, because what we'll discover from the passage tonight is, here's what you must not do when it comes to thinking about how do I get more faith. You must not think that faith is some supernatural exercise, and that the reason that you lack faith is because you haven't conjured yourself up into some spiritual fervor enough. When I came back to the Word, we'll find something really surprising. You'll actually see that faith is to have a clear understanding of the evidence at hand. And that's what we're going to see from Hebrews chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can read along or on your tablet or your Android device if you're still not saved. And (laughs) just saying, (laughs) Uh, for chapter 11, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. 
For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So before we dive into this tonight, I realize there's probably two ways to preach this passage tonight. There's the unhelpful way and then there's the helpful way. You guys got any preference? Um, uh, the helpful way would be good, wouldn't it, Suze? That'd be good. See, the, health, the unhealthy way to preach this passage is to look at all the great characters in this passage and to preach it like this and to say, look at Abraham and look at Moses and look at Enoch and look at Cain and look at all these guys and look at what they did. You go out and do the same. So in other words, Abraham, even though he didn't know where he was going, picked himself up and left and went to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance. That's what he did. You go do the same this week. That's, now, that is the unhelpful way to preach this passage. <laughs> the helpful way to look at this passage, the helpful way for those of us who might be struggling with a little bit of faith, is to look at this passage and say, how does it inform us about what faith is? What is its nature? How do you get it? How might you lose it? How do you get it back? And when we look at, in, at that depth, you will see from this passage, as I said, that the Bible shows us that faith is not a naive trust into nothingness, but it's to have a clear understanding. In other words, faith starts not with naivety, but with understanding. So here's the question. What do you do if you lack faith? Uh, how do you get faith? Here's where we're going tonight. Uh, what do you do if you feel you lack faith? How do you get faith? And why does faith work? That's where we're headed tonight. And the, the first thing that I was wrestling with, and I kind of realized out of this passage, is that if you feel that you lack faith, a lack of faith is not the issue. It's actually over faith in something else. It's not a lack of faith that's the issue. It's actually over faith in something else. I call it the Flugtag principle. Right? There's this thing called the Flugtag. It's a Red Bull event that they run throughout the world. I think it's been in Sydney Harbour at Mrs. Macquarie's chair. And they build this giant ramp up above the water. I don't know, 10, 15, 20 metres above the water. And what they do is they get all these crazy people in crazy costumes to make planes out of things like PVC pipe and garbage bags. And what they do is they take all of these weird designs and contraptions and a whole team of them get together and they run down the end of this ramp and they jump off the end of this ramp hoping that the PVC pipe will fly and whoever has the craft, if that's what you can call it by the end of it, that glides the furthest into the water, they're the winner. Now, why it's the Flugtag principle is, you see, when someone is holding on to something that rickety, you think it matters whether they've got a small jump or a big jump at the end of the ramp. I mean, you can jump big, you can jump small, but whether or not that crazy thing is going to crash and burn into the water or whether it's going to glide off into soaring victory is not a function of the size of the jump. It's actually a function of the worthiness of the object that you've held on to. Are you with me? And so in other words, what I'm trying to say here and what Hebrews says here is it's not the size of your faith that counts. It's the object of your faith that counts. It's what you've held on to. It's what you're placing your trust in. And so if it's not the size that counts, what you've got to understand tonight is that faith is always a, tr it's a transfer of trust. Faith is always a transfer of trust. It's not a creation of trust. And that's what I'm saying. You don't dream up faith. You don't 
pray for God to spill it down upon you from the heavens. You, you transfer trust. And here's what I mean by that. You can't avoid tonight betting your life on some sort of belief about God. You, you are making a faith decision either way, whether you're a believer or a non-believer tonight. You're making a faith decision. And it's not just about the spiritual stuff. You're, you're making faith decisions every day. You're, you're making a faith decision that the spring roll that you ate for lunch was properly cooked. Otherwise, it's going to hurt in about two to three days' time. You're making faith decisions about the chairs that you're sitting on tonight. You are crazy faith, but that thing could collapse underneath you and one of those legs could go into a place you just don't want it to go. And You're making faith decisions about roads and cars and you made a faith decision when you drove here tonight that the person on the other side of the road would stay to their side of the road. That's a faith decision. So here's the really good news tonight if you think they're lacking faith. You're not lacking faith at all. You've already got enough faith. You've got plenty of faith. Here's the thing. The reasons we can't believe in God is not that we're incapable of faith, but it's that we've already locked our faith into something else, into an alternate belief about God and about the world. And we've locked our faith into our achievements or our circumstances or a particular relationship or our own understanding. And so here's the point. Here's what it means for you. In the great flugtag that is life, right? Because all of life is a flugtag, isn't it? All of life is, 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 is constantly walking to the edge of some form of faith decision. You don't know if you're going to fly or you're going to sink. And in, in the great flugtag that is your life, how worthy is the object that has hijacked the trust of your heart? Is, is it worthy of your trust? Is it worthy of your faith? That, it's, not a, it's not a faith issue. We got that? And so the determining factor of your greatness and of your steadfastness and your resolve through life in the long run is not the level of intensity of what you trust in, but it's the worthiness of the thing that you trust in. And for some people, that's God, and for other people, it's other things. But let's at least be real with each other tonight, right? Let's be clear. The first step is that you've already got faith. It's just in someone or something. Now, uh, point number two that I was wrestling with is that if you're struggling with a lack of faith, it's not because you're thinking too much. It's because you're thinking too little. It's not because you're thinking too much. It's because you're thinking too little. You see, the modern person, this, this is how they think about faith, right? The, the modern person says, oh, I wish I could be like you. I, I wish I could be naive. I, I wish I could be gullible, you Christians. I, I wish I could just believe in Nothingness. I, I wish I could just throw away all reason. What are they really saying? What are they really saying? They're saying that the opposite of faith is thinking, that the opposite of faith is reasoning. And as a side note, you know what that's like? That's like, have you ever had those friends in your life that have that unique gift to say things that are really a slap in the face but make it sound like a compliment? Have you ever had any of those friends? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, Hun, I, I wish I had the confidence to walk out in public the way that you do. <laughs> oh, oh, hun, we, we've been best friends for ages. I mean, no one can fill a big baggy t-shirt the way you can. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had friends like that? Like, where it's, it sounds sweet, but it's actually a slap in the face. You know, the modern person says, oh, you Christians, you're so gullible, you're so naive. I wish I could have faith on you. It's a slap in the face. And instead they're saying, I'm a thinker, I'm sophisticated, I'm thinking things through. But faith doesn't work that way. Faith is actually a thinking process. Look at this, verse 3. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is unseen or what, if, what is not visible. So in other words, uh, this is powerful. Get this. By faith, we understand. You know what the word understand means? It's, it's the simple old Greek word noieo, which means uh, to think. It ties into the word for repentance. Metanoiete means to think about your thinking. And so it means to think, it means to understand, it means to process with your mind. And so what verse 3 is saying, let me paraphrase it here. It's saying, by faith, we use our brains to think and to understand that what is seen in this world was created by the unseen. It's saying that this physical world, this seen world, it's not self-explanatory by itself. Now, let's think this out practically, class. You ready? You got your pens? Because I'm going to get a little bit scientific on you. Okay. Bear with me. Faith starts by thinking, right? It starts by thinking. There's only ever two premises. The first one is, if there is an unseen God, then all that I see around me, the physical world, animals, love, relationships, emotion, all the good things, then that makes sense. That there is an almighty and all good and, and an cre- infinitely creative God. But on the other hand, if there's no God and if all of this physical matter is just one big cosmic big bang and accident, then love and emotions and all the good things doesn't really make sense. And so what it means is that the Bible calls you to faith, not on the basis of some supernatural goosebump experience, but on the basis of thinking. You start faith by thinking. And we'll see the implications of this in a second, but because uh, Christians aren't the only one that do this. Uh, let me show you how it works in a practical example in the world. There's a unique bunch of people out there in the world called scientists. Okay, they're very interesting people. Very interesting people. And in science, there's things like uh, the, the two-slit experiment. That was always my favorite when I did four-unit science at school. The two-slit experiment uh, was this experiment where scientists believe that light is made up of particles. I told you to get your pens, right? You are going to learn something fantastic that's got nothing to do with religion or Christianity tonight. Uh, that light is made up a whole of, of, of lots of different particles. Some say that light, the theory is that it's made up of particles. Other scientists say that it's made up of waves. So they thought in order to sort this, we'll shoot light at two slits in the cardboard. And if it's waves, it'll go through the slits. And if it's particles, it'll just go through one. And so they line this little particle up, this thing called a photon, and they go to shoot it through just one of the slits. And guess what? It goes through both. And they're absolutely perplexed. It even, it even perplexed this guy called Einstein. And here's what he says. He says, it seems as though we must use sometimes the one theory and sometimes the other. One theory. We must use faith sometimes and the other. While at times we may use either. We're faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. Now, what is Einstein doing, class? Let's summarize here. You've got your pens. Here's the first thing that they've done in that experiment. They start with a theory of the unseen. That light is either a particle or it's a wave. They start with a theory. And then what they do is they test that out on the basis of what is seen, observable evidence. And so then, in order to determine which theory is true, they say which theory of the unseen provides the most powerful explanatory explanation for the seen. Are you with me? 
The way they determine which faith statement is true is, is by which faith statement best explains what they can see. Now, you are thinking, what the heck has this got to do with anything? <laughs> Here's what it's got to do with faith and Christianity. What you, must, what you must not do is think that a Christian is someone or a person of faith is someone who's given away with reasoning. What you, that they've given away with, with thinking or reasoning because the point here is that Hebrews 11 shows us that Christianity starts with the same process that scientists use in their experiment. It, it says that we as Christians have a bunch of observable physical evidence around us and there are a range of theories as to how all of this came to being but a Christian is someone who says the theory of an unseen, all-powerful, infinitely creative God that has created all of this stuff, that is the theory, friends that compared to all the rest of them provides the most powerful explanation of the scene. And so in that way, a Christian looks at the world and says, look, if all of this is just a big cosmic accident, then mathematically there's as much chance of all of us, you, me being an accident as there is as a, a bottle of ink exploding in a room and falling onto paper and printing the Gutenberg Bible. And what it means is that Christians are people who have rigorously thought through the explanation of the seen universe around them. They're not naive. They're not gullible. They're thinking this through. Are you still with me? Okay, let me get, let me get a bit more practical. So some people are going, the minute I said science, they were out of here. They're like, see, I've checked out. Um, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight... He's not contrasting faith with reasoning. He's not saying we walk by faith, not by reasoning. He says we walk by faith and not by sight. And here's what it means. A few years back, uh, I had to go and have my wisdom teeth out. Got that terrible ache at the back of the jaw. And so the first thing I did is I started asking around, well, what do you do when you get your wisdom teeth out? And then people said, oh, well, look, you definitely got to get it done in the chair because you can't trust those doctors. When you're under a general, they rip your jaw out and it really hurts. So get, the, get it done in the chair. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get it done in the chair. So I need to find a doctor that will do it in the chair for me while I'm still awake. And then I said, if I'm going to be like that, who's a good doctor? Have you got any references? I look people up on the internet. I check the forums. I go in there. Then I go into the doctor and I interview the doctor and I get a sense of how competent she is. And I look at the x-ray, x-rays and I listen to her explanations as to what's wrong with my teeth and I listen to the procedure and what's happening here I'm taking all of the observable evidence and I'm starting to work out use all that in order to make a faith decision I mean come on if you're gonna let someone stick metal instruments down your head your head that's that's a faith decision <laughs> and so it comes to the day of getting into the chair and I, I get in there and I get all scrubbed up and I sit down and they're starting to inject me with stuff to get ready. And as I look to my left-hand side in the chair there, there is a tray full of tools and hooks and all sorts of crazy things that I swear I, I haven't seen since a James Bond movie with some crazy guy in a darkly lit room with a flickering light. And I'm thinking, she's about to stick that in my mouth. And I'm starting to freak out, man. And I'm trying to undo everything they're injecting into me. And I'm thinking, I can't go through this. I'm not going to do this. What's happened? I began to lose faith. I began to lose faith in the dock. And, and so... In other words, I started to have doubts. Now, where are they coming from? It's not coming from new evidence. It's not coming from new reasons. Here's where the doubt was coming from. The doubt was coming from sight. 
that I saw things that didn't make sense to me, even though I already had a whole range of different reasons to trust the doctor. How did I get my faith back? That in that moment in the chair, I began to what? I began to think. I checked the references. I checked the internet. I checked her, I checked her work. I, I, I remember the x-rays. I remember what we said, and I began to calm. See how thinking led to faith. It wasn't a supernatural experience. And see, my doubts, my fears, my lack of faith, they didn't come from thinking too much, but they came from thinking too little. And therefore, to become a Christian, it's not to be gullible or naive or, or blind in your faith, to become a Christian, and dare I say it tonight, is to become a person who's actually finally really thought about life for the first time. So a lack of faith is not thinking too much. It's about thinking too little about who God is, his goodness, everything he's done in your life. Finally, the power of faith. So it's, we look at it's, it's not a size issue. If, if you lack faith, it's not because you don't have enough faith, you've already got it. Then we've also seen tonight that it's not about thinking too much, but about thinking too little. Finally, the power of faith comes from the process of faith. You see, I'm sure there are people tonight thinking, what the heck is this? I came, I, I, I came to church for some inspiration, man. I didn't come for a theory of whether God exists or not. I, I, I came for some inspiration. I came for something to fall down upon me. I, I just need something to take home. I need something practical, not a theory. Now, I can understand how you feel, but bear with me because here is what Christianity says. Christianity says, okay, you're hurting. You're in crisis. You need something practical. But the point is, how in the world are you going to get the power to make the right decisions until you have understood, until you have thought through the big picture first? The Bible says, how the heck are you going to get the resolve? How the heck are you going to get the inner balance? How the heck are you going to get the strength uh, to, to, to go through what you're going through if you have not first made up in your mind whether or not you are a cosmic accident? Because if you are a cosmic accident, then what right do you have to get worried about your circumstances or your trials? You're just a bunch of atoms, stardust, carbon, electrical processes running through your brain. And Christianity dares to say, you are so much more than that tonight. And so you have to think it through first. But the good news is that always links, it always leads to a power. How? Verse 6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, you must acknowledge that he exists. The power of faith comes through thinking through the implications of the content of the Christian faith. And when you read that close enough, here's what I mean. The object of the Christian faith is not an impersonal force. You don't please forces. You don't please philosophies. You don't please psychologies. What do you please? You please people. And when it says without faith it's impossible to please God, it's saying that God is a person. He's personal. And so therefore what this faith leads you into is not some understanding of a wild force, but an understanding of a person. And hang on, now you and I know how to deal with faith because isn't every good relationship like that? Isn't every good friendship? Marriage, partnership, one of mutual trust or faith. And so what it's saying here is that God is a personal God and the principle here is without faith it's impossible to please anybody because 
that trust is personal in relationship. And because it's a relationship, friends, we, we can know what to expect, particularly if you're not a believer to tonight. Uh, tonight. You can expect that it will be a dynamic relationship of small faith steps, of small little bits of vulnerability, of small changes in your attitude to say that I will trust this person even though I'm not sure of the outcome. And as you do that, that process, that relationship builds like any relationship. Faith leads into a positive experience which reaffirms the faith, which reaffirms the experience, which reaffirms the faith. Which Have you guys ever been there in a good relationship? It grows. It's dynamic. Can you see the engine? Friend, when you place your faith into Jesus Christ, I promise you it's a process that leads you into a deeper understanding and trust and wonder in the person that is God. That, that's how when you see people throughout life, the two different types, those that are in crisis, those that are in crisis, they look exactly the same on the surface, but then there is one who is crushed by what they're going through and then there are the other people who are inexplicably resolved and balanced and victorious. And nine out of ten times, they're the people of faith. It's a process. So where are you tonight? What is faith and how do I get it? What happens if you feel like you've lost it tonight? Remember that faith is always a transfer of trust. You don't have to create it yourself. It's not some supernatural thing. You've already got enough faith tonight. That's the good news. And that means that uh, you don't lack any faith. If you feel you've lost it, all that has happened is that the, the trust operating system of your heart has been hacked. It's been hacked. Some, someone or something has hacked your heart. And and it's diverted you away from the only true object, God, that is worthy of your trust. And you've got to work out what that is that's done that to you. And so what it means tonight, if you are yet to believe in God, if you're yet to do the Christian thing, if, if you are yet to make that commitment, can I just say firstly, thanks for being with us and putting up with me for 20-something minutes. Um, but more importantly... Would you allow me to prod your skepticism tonight? Would, would you allow me to Facebook poke you right, with what I've said tonight in the word of God? Here's what I'm saying. Please don't shirk your responsibility to deny Christianity on the basis of sound thinking. In other words, please recognize that you cannot dismiss Christianity just purely on the basis of that you think it makes no sense and having not done the research yourself. Faith comes through thinking. And so hopefully I've shown you that faith is not just, it's not a gift, it's not a talent, it's not a supernatural experience. It starts by rigorously thinking out the implications of the base theory of your life. And all I'm saying is, what is that tonight? And to my brothers and sisters of the faith. Man, we're in for one heck of a ride, aren't we? And I sure hope so. There are lots of things that I recognize as we move into this new season as a community together. There's an inevitable nervous energy in all of us. I'm feeling it. You're probably feeling it. But that's exactly where God wants us. That's exactly where he wanted the people, that are these greats of the Bible that stood out in faith in the first place. And I'm not entirely sure about the future. We're starting to get a clear picture already. But one thing is for certain that God is going to call you and I into deeper levels of faith. That there are going to be moments when we need to, as a community, look back on this series. And it needs to be like a pocket knife out of our pockets and various things that we need to use as brothers and sisters on each other to say, think, remember what faith is when we begin to lose sight 
of what God is calling us to do. Faith is not some supernatural experience. Instead, it's a reminder of the incredible ways that God has been faithful in your life and in my life in this place and the incredible miracles and victories week after week, year after year that have happened in this place. It's a call to think. In Matthew 6, there was a wise guy in Matthew 6 that said, if you're lacking in faith tonight, the solution's easy. I think his name was Jesus, actually. He said, here's what he did. Here's what Jesus said. He said, it's, it's really accessible to you this week. This is what I love about the simplicity of it. He said, if you lack faith, go look at the birds. Go sniff the flowers. Uh, go roll in the grass till you get a grass stain and you get a funny smell. Just take, take a look around. Uh, just think for a minute. Who's running this place? Who's running all of this? How do you explain all of this? Christian, why are you afraid? Why are you anxious? Why are you nervous? It's not because you're overthinking, it's because you're underthinking. You're not, you're not thinking enough about who he is. And so let's, let's not be a community that's going to expect faith to fall from the sky. To get out and trust and to be people of faith means we need to renew our thinking. We need to go back to the word. What, what did Jesus say the solution is? Go outside, think, consider. Now let's do that now as we come to the table. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said it yourself. Are you a little faith? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the way that the Lord cares for all of these things. Father, I pray for, I pray for anyone in this room tonight that is uh, deeply held under worry or anxiety or uncertainty about their future. I pray for those that are on the flug tag, that they're, they're on the edge of the platform <laughs> of situations, whether it be in their business or their personal life or their relational life tonight, Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm praying that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you've moved in this place tonight, that peace and comfort has begun to flow into people's hearts as minds have been renewed and we've begun to think about who you really are. Father, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as a community that, Lord, you would would be beginning to Um, prepare our hearts even further lord to be a community of faith a community that's willing to cheer each other on a community that's willing to 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 push and to prod each other to think and to remind each other of who you really are and and the way that you have been faithful time and time and time again in our lives and so lord we pray that prayer we ask that question the same way that your disciples did lord jesus just will you increase our faith And we pray through the hearing of your word tonight that you've given us at least the first step into all of that. And we pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.